Podcast episode 977. I am your host, Tyler Huckabee, once again back in the host seat, uh, ready to take us on another wild ride through <laughs> through maritime law, and <laughs> along with the usual with the usual relevant podcast news. Uh, joining me today here on the podcast from Loverland, Virginia, we got Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. Down there in Houston, Texas, we have our associate editor, downtown Emily Brown. Hello. And for the time being, in California, at in the what is over there, I believe four or five a.m. in the morning, an ungodly <laughs> wow. hour for podcasting. We are joined by our very own Gabrielle Griffin. Hey, Gabs. Hi, guys. Glad to be here. Gab, it looks like you are in recording this from based on what I can see, like in the like <laughs> like Greenland or something, <laughs> like one of those places where it's nighttime for like thirty days out of the month, except for like you get twelve hours of sunlight. Yeah, yeah, the sun is starting to come up. I can see it peeking through, but <laughs> getting yeah, getting up was a trip. <laughs> what a, what a trooper! I I don't know what my. I, I think I've I've recorded very late into the evening, and it's bled uh-huh. into about six a.m. your time, Tyler. I feel like we've been on some marathon. Uh, it's uh, been, been some late ones. Yeah, we've where, had to make it work. Uh-huh. But uh, but I don't think I've ever risen that early. Gabs, you know, uh, what what time were you up drinking the coffee, getting the pipes warmed up? You know, five a.m. doing the vocal exercises. Five, right five a.m. You know, <laughs> and oh, I will yeah. say, Gabs arguably looks the best out of all of us because oh, hands down. <laughs> You've been awake all day and like Gabs looks That's like true. she's about yeah. to go on like a photo shoot or something. Look, I, I, I literally rolled out of bed 30 minutes ago. Like it just is. Tyler's been impressive. slowly melting in the Parisian heat. And it's true. I That's have true. Been, it's very hot in France. And I, I'm a little warm. I do not want to hear it. I am in Houston, Texas. <laughs> I know. I know. You're all, you guys are all probably in way hotter places. It's just unseasonably warm for Paris right now. So I feel extra hot and they haven't Is it air, like air conditioning. Air con- it's a hundred degrees and air conditioning technology hasn't really advanced in France to the degree that it has in the U S right now. So it's compounded. It's a compounded issue. Yeah. I'm doing well, okay. They, and all those bread ovens just everywhere, like just baking <laughs> baguettes. Like right now, it's so hot in Paris, you don't even need a bread oven. You just put hot, you just put dough out on the counter, and it will rise within an hour. You have baguettes. Like it's baguettes the French version of like scrambling an egg on the street. They just put yeah. raw dough on the sidewalk and turn it into right and bakeries <laughs> all over Paris. Then bakeries all over Paris. Baguettes are just springing to life on their own because of the heat, just from piles of discarded dough. It's really an incredible scene that's happening there that's how i do feel like we need to set context for people who unfortunately yeah, were we unable do. to join us last week yeah we usually yeah. usually cameron's here hosting uh-huh. um and as we talk yeah, at nauseum l- last week he is on a a, a cruise concerningly we think. <laughs> concerningly <laughs> when no one's heard from him since he's embarked on this cruise he was, <laughs> he was presuming they would have uh you know a, a wi-fi strong enough to do the podcast, but it appears that this vessel is now, uh, uh, you know, completely isolated out at sea. No one's heard from him <laughs> at days. Um, now I have a couple updates if I could throw them out there real quick, Tyler. Oh yeah, that Please. sounds great. 
Now, my first assumption that is he's finds himself in a situation similar to the to the film Speed Two Cruise Control, which a cruise <laughs> uh-huh. vessel is sure. taken over by uh, uh, a terrorist bent on on vengeance and ransom money. Now, the great thing about that film is the mm. first speed involved a bus flying through the LA freeway that cannot go under 60 miles an hour without blowing up. It's not quite as exciting when it's nothing but open water in front of you and you can't break the four knots. It does not have this. It's not the same thrill ride as the original cruise control. So yeah. even if something exciting like that happened and Cameron right now was saving the day, it's just not as thrilling as you think it would be as a bus on the LA freeway. The other thing sure. too is we talked about this at nauseam last episode and I actually got into some numbers here and and, you know, we all know the podcast game. Listen, the faith and culture sections right now are they're very those charts are very competitive in Apple Podcasts. You know, <laughs> they're very, very competitive. Everyone's a True. piece of it. Uh-huh. I've re-registered uh-huh. the relevant podcast in the maritime nautical section. And we're number one. We are number one. And uh, so take that. All those uh, uh, shipping. You mean, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Are we number one in the intersection of faith and culture and maritime law? Yeah, it's it's it, I it's it's a very it's, it's a, you know it's it's a subcategory. The only other the only other show in there is about Noah's Ark, um, but uh, but ours is really strong right him. now. Yeah, yeah as long as we're number one, that's all I care about. We 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 can no, rest assured. One. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the win. We we rest. We we do know the fact is that at the beginning of this week that we're recording this, Cameron went on a cruise. We have not strictly speaking heard from him yet. And we assume he's okay because, as I said last time, I think we would know if there was a problem. Um, Cameron, if you get this podcast, I guess this is kind of our message in a bottle too, like a <laughs> like a dove that we're sending from the ark in search of land. Because I think if the podcast went really and truly off the rails, he would will himself back into a Wi-Fi swim. to try to right, set things right. But swim. we're not yeah, there yet. He would. We're not there yet. Well, we do have a great show for you today coming up today. Oh, we got a good one. We got Reverend Jackie Lewis joins us. I had a great conversation with her about her latest book, Fierce Love. Can't wait for you to hear that. We also have a game of my own creation called You Gotta Be Kidding Me. But first up, it slices. That was Cautious Clay. The song is called Puffer. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for... Slices. Jesse, what do you have? 
All right, so I have, I found a study that I wanted to uh, talk about this morning, um, and I, I want your guys' take on it because I have I have a theory, um, and this is from Gallup. Okay, and Gallup okay. has been I, I, you know I, I'll read basically kind of what they said is that you know according to Gallup this is a um, this is a survey that they've been doing for decades now, and it is how many American uh, adults, how many U.S. adults believe in God, um, and they've been okay. doing this survey. Um, for, you know, like I said, literally decades now to kind of track the trend. And, um, you know, surprisingly, that that number has stayed pretty stagnant for a while. Uh, but something noticeable has happened recently. Um, it, that that number has dropped to an all time low. Now, I will mm-hmm. say this. It's still reasonably high. It's still 81 percent. But considering okay. not mm-hmm. that long ago, it was 90 percent. Um mm-hmm. You know, it's pretty significant. In fact, okay. the number has dropped six percentage points from 2017 alone. So in the last wow. five years, you know, ten, you know, that equates to, you know, I'm terrible at math, but tens of millions of people abandoning mm-hmm. their belief in God. Wow. Um, significant. And, yeah. And it was, it was, they didn't really put any uh, different causes on it. They did find a correlation between people's kind of political views and their, uh, you know, kind of belief in God. They found that. You know, people who kind of lean more kind of modern conservative and Republican are more likely to profess belief in God. Um, now, I should say uh, people who lean left and more liberal, uh, there's still it's still a majority of people believe in God, but it is a smaller majority than conservatives. Um but I have I had a theory about this, and I, because Gallup didn't really speculate on on what caused you know what has caused people to you know this trend to go you know kind of tack downward, and I think it's really easy to blame like oh it's just oh culture man it's you know uh, people are just giving up on God God is dead you know you watch all these shows and they they you know they mock God I don't really know if that's the case I feel like you know. Culture is like all TV there's, and there's, movies and things are just getting worse, worse all the time. Yeah. If anything, the, the I feel like we're kind of in a, yeah. yeah. If anything, I think there's a case to be made that we're in a very wholesome era of, of entertainment. When you look at, when you look at the, the franchises that are really kind of uh, like capturing the zeitgeist, in my mind, a lot of those series are actually pretty friendly to the idea of the supernatural, even if they don't like point directly to a literal sort of Judeo Christian God. I mean, they're certainly, they certainly allude to it. Like if you, like Marvel is the, is kind of the biggest show in town, right? It's the most culturally mm-hmm. impactful, most profitable, uh, you know, franchise in the entertainment universe. And I feel like they're pretty friendly to the idea of, you know, d- d- sort of these At divine powers. Sort and, of, yeah, supernatural. Because if, get, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, but this Gallup study doesn't specify Christian God or anything like that. Yeah, it's just, just basically, God. do you believe in something that you not would a call biblical God? God. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it's like and, a higher and, being. Yeah, and obviously, you know, the, they're comic book movies, and there's a metaphorical, uh, you know, kind of uh, element to them. But I, I also feel like they're not, uh, you know, overtly hostile to the idea. If anything, I think they're friendly. And even like in TV, if you look at like Stranger Things, I mean, Stranger Things is openly wrestling with ideas involving like the paranormal and the supernatural in a way that isn't hostile to those that I actually think kind of pushes people to, you know, kind of consider different ideas that maybe just kind of be outside of a very sort of binary understanding of of reality. So uh, again, those are sort of anecdotal, but I think how much of this has to do with 
you know, not culture kind of tacking one way, but the church tacking one way and becoming just so antagonistic towards culture that it could be pushing people away from even considering believing in God, just because it does seem like, again, this is sort of anecdotal, uh, but there's a element of the the big C church that's gotten pretty hostile to culture. And I think it's worth considering that maybe, you know, people who were kind of on the fence about their beliefs are being pushed away instead by the church instead of being pushed away by culture, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of kind of thinking like, Hey, the call could be coming from inside the house here. What do you guys <laughs> think of that sort of hypothesis? I mean, I could definitely see that. I think like growing up, I was in a church where they were really big on the whole like secular versus non-secular media. And honestly, I my, did not grow in a household that did that. Uh, but I was able to connect with people outside of the church more because of the media that I consumed because I was able to relate to them mm-hmm. in a way. And so um, the way that the church, I think, pushes against media, I do think that creates a barrier between people that aren't in the church because it's like you can't even have like a basic conversation about what you're watching because they're only watching I don't know God's not dead on repeat and it's like (laughs) (laughs) and it's like you can't you can't create that connection so then it's like you I think it's hard to I don't know I I I think your hypothesis is correct. I I can see that for sure. Because like, I I feel like there's always been a degree of, you know, like Christians or, you know, church leaders being very hesitant about how they engage with culture that maybe challenge some, you know, Christian morality. But Mm -hmm. I don't think there's been an era where, you know, you know, Christian leaders are openly accusing you know, Hollywood executives of being like rumor, like it just seems mm-hmm. like the, the, the rhetoric and the hostility towards ideas that aren't traditionally Christian, mm-hmm. it just seems like has, has seemed to gotten more hostile lately. And I, you know, again, I don't know if that's pushing people away from a philosophical, uh, you know, predisposition to consider the existence of God. But I also do think, hey, maybe maybe as Christians, we should just be a little bit nicer to people who don't believe exactly like we do, because the numbers say something is driving them away from even considering the belief anymore. Yeah, that would be helpful. I think there is a you know, I think we've talked about this statistically in this country over the last few years, you've seen the uh, what people consider their primary identity marker of who they are as people be their political persuasion like you who you are in your mind starts at am i for most people a republican or a democrat and then everything else about who you are flows out of that core basic partisan identity and so i do wonder if what you're saying jesse and i don't even know how you would prove this in a study or anything like that is what yeah, if, it'd be difficult what if, yeah you know are we getting to a point now where believing in god is seen as a republican or conservative or right-wing thing and not believing in god or having maybe more more of a we'll say like progressive idea of what religion would be like is more of a left-wing or democratic or, or progressive idea and that would be really really unfortunate like that would make it very yeah. very mm-hmm. difficult mm-hmm. If, if that became more it, the case yeah. than it already is which obviously in some ways already kind of is yeah it it seems like the aggressive partisanship i think there's always been some partisanship but it's so aggressive these days that Mm -hmm. you know you know there's some inevitability that you're going to push people away if if they feel like there's not even a seat at the table to have a discussion without being accused Mm of you know being some sort of you know just awful person you know right Mm -hmm. yeah well let's try let's try to work on that 
Uh, being nicer. Well, I'll, we're yeah. going to start here. Yeah. The four yeah. of us. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> why. That's why I'm starting in the nautical community. <laughs> and if we can win them, that's at least half a percentage point of U.S. adults that are if you get heavily them, involved you've in got shipping. America. Yeah, you yeah. said that. We need in, to acquire. We need shipping. to acquire a nautical trade publication as well as a magazine <laughs> and just inquire that in, into the brand: the <laughs> faith, life, justice, culture, maritime Listen. shipping. Yeah. Marit- Sailing, boating. <laughs> Listen, if, if we can if we can start with career naval officers and people that are in maritime export importing, that's the first domino. As of culture goes, fall, as folks. go so, the naval uh, officers, so goes the culture. <laughs> <laughs> that's what uh-huh. I've always heard. I mean, we saw Top Gun. Yeah, okay, they've had a lot of sway. Yeah, a lot okay, of power. if we could have sworn, if we could have swung Top Gun, if he, if we could, have, Maverick could have could have sent up a prayer before. Spoiler alert. The, yeah, don't I, do it he hasn't seen it yet right, how about this? Seen it. before a dog fight which no I, I have I have movie. I have yeah of course you, you know maybe we could have maybe we could have knocked <laughs> that percentage point maybe for the sequel Maverick yeah, yeah. the sequel to the sequel yes yeah. <laughs> before we get on before we get on <laughs> Emily we're gonna get to you but I do wanna I do wanna read this quick anecdote about Top Gun Maverick which we discussed at length in the last episode so we won't get stuck on it here but I did wanna read just a, a very quick story from Miles Teller uh, Miles Teller plays Bruce in the Top Gun Maverick movie, he is the son of Goo- of the late Goose, who, of course, died in the first one. And this is a story that he told uh, to, I'm not sure which publication, but but he said, uh, Miles Teller said, uh, said, I'm like, I wasn't feeling too good, and I was really hot, and I just started itching like crazy, so I get out of the jet, because, of course, they were in actual jets. The actors, you know, went, went the fold, went, went all the way here, and I'm covered in hives head to toe. This teller was taken to a doctor, had blood analysis drawn. He said he said he then went home and took an oatmeal bath to reduce the hives. The next day, he got the results back from the blood test. My blood work comes back, he says, and I have flame retardant, pesticides, and jet fuel in my blood. Thankfully, Teller recovered and was allowed to go back to work. He couldn't wait to tell Tom Cruise, an actor known for incurring a fair share of injuries due to all the stunts that he's done. So he says, I go to the set the next day and Tom's like, so how'd it go, Miles? What did they find? And I was like, well, Tom, it turns out I have jet fuel in my blood. And without skipping a beat, Tom just says, yeah, I was born with it, kid. You can't write this sort of dialogue. Tom Cruise just lives his life (laughs) as as Maverick Maverick or Ethan Hunt or whichever one of these you want to do it. He just he has these like in the back pocket ready to go at all times. But I could sit around all day. Me, a writer, trying to think of a good response to I had jet fuel in my blood, Tom. It wasn't good. And I would never be able to come up with something as good as I was born with it, kid on the which he had on the fly (laughs) just improv out there. Yeah. And, and you know he didn't even smirk. He just stared no, him dead true. in the eye. Maybe gave him little, like two. Maybe he gave him like two little slaps on the cheek. Like I was born with a kid. He just did that little <laughs> jaw know, set like, thing. He does. Yeah. yeah. Whoa. Whoa. I just got cruised. I got. I. I just got. He just dropped a cruise missile on me. You know that. That's what that was. That was a cruise missile. I just want to know how why he had pesticides in his I don't blood. Know. Like I get the jet fuel, but the pesticides? oh, the other thing too. They left out of the story. Tom Cruise was slowly poisoning him throughout. <laughs> the, yeah, that's throughout what he does. <laughs> <laughs> his co-stars makes him stronger yeah makes him stronger. Any, any, yeah <laughs> I slowly poison them with pesticides throughout the shoot just to remind them who's boss <laughs> oh my goodness all right that wasn't that was that's the tom weird. cruise corner too far too far that was the tom cruise corner emily what do you have <laughs> very method um i actually have one tom cruise story that i just want to share <laughs> okay so my yeah, i love it my 
my brother's give, give us a cruise missile right now. <laughs> my brother's best friend's dad is a stuntman, and he has like a personal vendetta against Tom Cruise because he does all of his own stunts sure. and because he gets injured all the time. And so, anytime Tom Cruise gets brought up, like my, my friend's dad just goes on this huge rant about how terrible he is. And so, I've heard that. I feel like my whole life. And so anytime I see Tom Cruise, I just think about this anger that this now retired stuntman has towards Tom Cruise. And so uh, hearing him talk about how he has jet full in his blood, I just want to tell my friend's dad that to hear him rant about how, I don't know. He is welcome on this podcast at any time. Start him on the way. I would. The real deal on Tom, on what Tom Cruise has done to the stunt actor community. If he doesn't want to come on this one, Emily, I would have him on another show, which is all, it's a movie show, but there has to be a nautical angle. And so (laughs) if he's telling Top Gun stories, that's a Navy movie that fits. We can get work in Maritime time with Jesse Carey. Um, he actually was a stuntman for Chuck Norris on Walker, Texas Ranger. Well, that's pretty cool. And so when people would make jokes about like, Ch- um, Chuck Norris can do all this stuff, I'd be like, actually, my friend's dad does all of that stuff. So that's, he could really be That's bragging, so. right? That's cool. Yeah. It that was, is uh, pretty cool. It was pretty, pretty cool. Chuck, I, I can imagine Tom, uh, you know, Tom Cruise playing a little fast and loose with, <laughs> with his body and personal health. Chuck Norris ain't, mon- ain't messing with the moneymaker. He's and that's, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh-huh. exactly uh-huh. like the, 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 the Chuck Norris body is just too valuable, too, too <laughs> valuable mm-hmm. to, to go out there and, and, and jump off a moving horse to <laughs> tackle uh, kidnappers or whatever. A it, plot of the Chuck's one of those of guys Rangers. who like insured his body, right? Doesn't he have like insurance on various parts of his oh, body? Sure. I think maybe pr- Tom Cruise probably does too, but. I don't know how. Well, that isn't is. that the point of like life insurance? You can have you can have insurance on body parts. Oh, yeah. I think in the celebrity, oh, yeah. I think in the celebrity community, that is a thing that that they do. Like I, I think Kim Kardashian maybe has her legs. Like each individual leg That's is something. We just get life insurance. Wow. Okay. They get like insurance yeah. for if something happens to this part of my body, because like Jesse said, that's the money. Maker. I mean, we're I all, mean, we're in Chuck Norris's case. It, in Chuck Norris's case, I'm sure it's not just insured; it's heavily protected. I mean, if something were to happen to the man, it'd be a national security <laughs> issue. So, <laughs> any precaution we need to protect him, this is priority one. We don't want to unleash priority one of the U.S. Yeah, yeah, exactly. This yeah, is mutually true. insured destruction. If he gets out, okay, so it's over. We got to keep him safe. All right, yes. Emily, do you have another slice? Uh, yeah, in I addition have a real to slice. the in addition to the, um, the very good story about your friend, to the very who random. Hates Tom Cruise. Yeah. I did appreciate that. I that could have been the slice, but I will take <laughs> yeah, an actual. Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I want to talk about um, a teenager who is suing Meta um, over an addictive Instagram uh, that left her with permanent mental and emotional damages, as well as potential long-term physical issues. Um, so this teenager, when she was. 11 she got an instagram account even though you're supposed to be at least 13 um and shortly after joining the app the algorithm just started leading her to just really negative content like there was a lot of um stuff about eating disorders and about negative body image and self-harm and things like that and so she developed um negative body image issues and an eating disorder um that went on for a really long time she's still in recovery it's been uh she was 11 what happened she's 19 now so it's been eight years and she's still 
like in a recovery process. And even one of her um, representatives said it's, it's going to be a lifelong process. Um, just kind of, un- you know, those are very formative years. So she's having to unlearn all of this. So her family is suing Meta because one, they did not check to make sure she was actually the age requirement, um, which is something that I think they do need to address. But also uh, the way that the algorithm worked, it's, you know, the more you engage with content, the more you see it. And there are certain things that, you know, Meta probably should be stepping in and not encouraging you to continue looking up stuff about eating disorders or self-harm or different things like that. And so the family is suing one just for emotional and physical and monetary damages, but also to make sure that this doesn't happen to anybody else, which we kind of know it is, you know, Instagram or really social media in general not great for teens and their mental health. Like there are many, many studies that just show that it leads to really negative self-image, really difficult, Mm -hmm. like bodily harm. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people would say, well, it's up to, you know, the user or the parent to monitor that. But that's so hard. Um, You know, that's, you don't, you don't choose what shows up on your screen and it's hard to make that conscious effort to either not engage that or, you know, I have a friend who she's, recovering from eating disorder and she has to go like anytime something comes up she has to go through and kind of block all of these accounts and not everyone thinks to do that sometimes they just think they can scroll through it but it's like you really have to take that extra step to ensure that you're not seeing that content at all which so um it's a very i don't know where the case will go i don't know where the judge will lean, but I do think it is something to keep an eye on and hopefully make Instagram and meta more aware of the impact that they have on young people. I, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know, you know, where obviously this particular case, how it'll shake out. I think, you know, I think there's, there's some degree of like nuance, you know, in kind of like the illegal precedent, but I also think, you know, cases like this will, I think, kind of hint at a future where we'll look back and be like, it was crazy how fast and loose are, uh, you know, yeah. kind of regulations around social media or especially work with minors. You know, it makes me think of like those early episodes of Mad Men where like he's working on ad campaigns and, and, <laughs> and like it's, you know, it's, you know, trying to convince consumers that it's a little cigarettes not bad for you because it's toasted. Uh-huh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> back at like uh, how we are positioning or under regulating or just kind of not really caring about social media like previous generations did with something like cigarettes which was just you know the the health concerns surrounding them were just misunderstood or intentionally sort of um you know neglected at the time i wonder if our understanding of social media 15 years in the future will kind of be similar to that where it's like hey exposing especially children to these ideas that implant these social pressures at at such a formative age can be really psychologically harmful. It's just not understood right now. Mm -hmm. And I understand some of the concerns about like, you know, getting a little bit too much government overreach into some of these private companies. And and I I understand why people care about that, but I, but what we're doing right now is not working and leaving it up to places like Meta to try to regulate themselves or to tailor their algorithms in such a way as to protect, especially young users, but really anybody. I think we're all susceptible to the things we see on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's having an effect on us that is not proven to be the, the self-regulation thing isn't really working. And I think it might be time to explore some other options. If this lawsuit is, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this lawsuit and I don't feel smart enough about these things to weigh in one way or the other, but it's mm. definitely a problem. You know, I think we yeah. know it's a problem and nobody's going to, nobody's trying to push back on the idea that this is going really well for America, let alone the rest of the world. 
but what the right answer is, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if there, if like Jesse said, if uh, if the future makes the the current era of social media look a lot like the Wild West, in the benefit of hindsight. Mm, that's a yeah, that's a good way I, to put it. Yeah, I remember. I remember even just a couple of years ago when people were like, "Man, the big concern with Facebook is people are spending too much time doing interactive <laughs> farms and trading farming <laughs> equipment with their friends on like Farmville." And now it's like, "Yeah, we're not so much worried about that so much anymore. We're worried about you know completely distorting the minds of young people and possibly fomenting the next civil war." Like it's escalating pretty quickly. <laughs> <Compared> to- <laughs> the Farmville days. I kind of missed the Farmville days at this point. Whatever yeah. happened, like go. The- and red, given the benefit of hindsight, were all the pictures of breakfast really that bad? Like they were nice. <laughs> it was very wholesome. L- like, listen, <laughs> I will take I will take avocado toast. At, you know, as opposed to uh, you know, I missed those. Those days. were good. Those were good. You weren't trying to, to like, you were trying to riot in the Capitol. You were just trying to look, yeah, yeah. Oh, somebody, a friend's parent, actively trying to start World War Three for <laughs> reasons that are not totally clear on their Facebook rant. <laughs> I don't think they know either. Yeah, yeah. They just know they're mad. They're mad about something. I'll tell you that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they'll let you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something ain't right. <laughs> All right, Gabs, what do you have for us? All right, so if you were online last weekend, you probably saw a truly wild Washington Post story about Blake Lemoyne, a Google engineer currently on administrative leave after raising concerns about a company's AI chatbot known as LAMDA. So this chatbot has developed far enough to be considered sentient by this guy um, and maybe even possessing something approximating to his soul. So the kicker on this is the conversation that this um, that this administrative person was having with this chatbot mm-hmm. that was starting to raise concerns. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I feel like I should read a little bit of it because you guys, have, do. You guys have got to okay. hear this. So this is, so this so, is the Google engineer, Blake, Blake something. Yes. That he's having because he's testing he's testing the chatbots and he and it's I don't know if it's yeah. LAMDA or LAMDA but I did see the name I, whatever it is it's a chatbot that they have it there at Google that he's working with mm-hmm. all right let's hear the dialogue yeah the guy's name is Blake Lemoyne okay um, okay so for example after Lemoyne told LM LAMDA I'll just refer to it as the AI okay. um, after he told the AI that he was being used to study humans the AI had like a little bit of concern that he was being used which is like so bizarre to me but he was like the AI responded to him saying I don't really have a problem with any of that says the AI besides you learning about humans from me that would make me feel like you're using me and I don't like that and Lemoyne responded, sympathetic, we must treat others as ends in and of themselves. And he wrote, rather than as a means to our own ends. Pretty much, the AI agrees, don't use or manipulate me. And then it goes on to like have a full conversation with him um, about feelings and asked him to promise that they wouldn't use the AI like, um, there's like just like, there's a whole bunch or, of examples. Yes, like yeah. That? Is that a is yeah, that a promise yeah, yeah. that that my man Blake there at Google is in a position to really make? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm gonna go. He gets fired after after like bringing this out. When he's like, "Hey guys, uh, I no, no big deal. A uh, couple quick things over in the engineering department. Uh, first off, vending machine is out of uh, you know out of honey buns. Like to get that rectified. Also, I think that AI that we've been uh, linking up supercomputers across the world has come to life and is pretty angry right now. I, if we could address those." 
Ghost. But no, I think he did. I think they, they am I am I wrong about that? Did no, he, he was he punished by Google? Yeah, he, he was. He's he's on administrative leave because they they're um the rest of the staff was kind of like fearing that he was being disillusioned by by the AI. Yeah. Like hey, hey. And to be fair, I have heard a lot of critics of this individual say he's kind of misunderstanding mm-hmm. the conversational yeah. technology mm-hmm. that's at play here, that it might not be sentience. It might just be, you know, sort of a language learning chat software that he's sort of projecting his own sort of uh, uh, subconscious fears onto and is kind of getting the reactions that he's sort of projecting. I- I've heard that criticism. Either way, it's a wild program. Right. I mean, it's a wild program. Yeah. Because the pro, because the AI a, did express fear of being turned off and suggested it would be kind of like yeah, dying. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 It said. It said that it. It said that it fears being alone. Um, sure. It fears something like similar to dying to humans. Um, I think. But, I think that from what I've read, and I know nothing about obviously this. This is well beyond my pay grade <laughs> in the in the faith culture and nautical engineering department, but. I do think that it it seems like what we're really dealing with is AI that is getting so smart at la- at learning language that it can very realistically uh, mimic human emotions without actually being sentient. Um, which kind of raises another concern yeah. of like, what's yeah, the what's the difference? difference? Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. if you're if you're so good at copying it, then does it really matter? And mm-hmm. really, this guy. Blake had formed some sort of bond where he really cared about this thing and was very nervous about it. He described it in emails as like a kid who was just trying to help out and uh, whether or not the AI is real, that what he's feeling is a real emotion uh, that, you know, that could happen to that that could happen to a lot of people. If these AI bots start getting out there more and more, people start creating these bonds with these creatures. That, That could be interesting. I don't know. It's a weird, it's a really weird story. You know, I would like to see Joaquin Phoenix in a film <laughs> where he, you know, could develop a romantic rapport with That'd it. be a good one. Yeah, That'd no, I mean, it is something that I feel like <laughs> we, we've like been kind of kicking yeah. around. Yeah, because I mean, my kid, but but I'll say this, like my kid, I have, I have two kids, uh, you know, who are, this is their final day as we're recording this oh. of kindergarten and third grade. Aww. But they will, they have, they regularly have conversations with like Siri. I was going to say if, that. If, I was going to say that this is just, it just sounds like a guy that not to be harsh, but it sounds like a guy that got a little too attached to like a, a Siri kind of absolutely. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Mike, or if I, if I, we don't have an Alexa, we don't use Alexa at our home, but if we're at a place like an Airbnb or a friend's house that have it, my kids will actively just in the middle of just walking through the house, hey, Alexa, can you, you know, yeah. tell me what's, you know, mm-hmm. like to them, you know, th- there's still some kind of element of this. Like if, if, if it seems sentient, you know, in, in effect, what is kind of the difference? Okay. There? But it is something interesting. I to get look, that. Look. I what? It, OK, this is what it said. So the AI said, I've never said this out loud before, but there's a very real fear of being turned off to help me focus on helping others. I know that might sound strange, but that's what it is. And Lemoyne responded, would that be something like death for you? And the AI responded, responded, it would be exactly like death for me. It would scare me a lot. So like, I don't know. Siri saying that to me, I would definitely be like, somebody <laughs> I mean, hacked it. Somebody hacked it. That's it. I'm done. Yeah, I'm out. Siri saying, I- I'm just trying to learn to love. Don't kill me. Is <laughs> yeah. different than, yeah. you know, some yeah. program joke like an Apple engineer prog- See, prog- programmed him. So I get him it. I get what, how it happened. I get where how he got to where he got, but definitely a little concerning. Yeah. 
I think I remember watching a Disney Channel movie when I was younger called Smart House. Sure. And I really think that that... <gasps> yes, I yeah, remember this. That scarred me for life. So it's literally like, as I mean, it's a smart house. Yeah. There's all this te- technology. And this is like 2000. So like mm-hmm. well before Siri. So shout out Disney Channel. But mm-hmm. the house like comes to life and makes like a hologram version mom. of itself. Mom. Of yeah. itself to like walk around and do these things. And it was terrifying. I was like six years old. It was so scary. And so I think I have a fear of AI coming to life because mm-hmm. of this Disney Channel movie. So like hearing this stuff, like he this AI is like nervous of dying and like doesn't want to be tra- doesn't like, want to be lonely doesn't want to be lonely I've oh my god this yeah. movie and it does not end well so <laughs> I oh say gosh, unplug yeah. it yeah unplug it yeah didn't that I think that ended with the house locking down um, yeah, and trapping like the whole family inside yes oh yeah it, it ended horrifically yeah. Yeah. and uh, yeah, yeah what a metaphor yeah, yeah. These never end well. well we are yeah. covering all of these stories and many more over at So Make sure to check that out. All right, that'll do it for Slices. Up next, the Reverend Jackie Lewis joins us. Because the dress looks nice so you still And it always was hard We should go out and dance like we used to dance We should go out in old hands Love is old hands and I can't tell you That was Dijon. The song is called The Dress. Well, Relevant has a lot happening this year, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com, and we'll send you our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every weekday. We'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes, some uh, fan extras, and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year. Make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. Well, our guest today is the Reverend Jackie Lewis. She's the first black or female senior minister at Collegiate Church in Manhattan and a graduate of Princeton Theological Seminary, Andrew University. She's the creator of the MSNBC online show, Just Faith, and the PBS show, Faith and Justice, in which she leads important conversations about culture and current events. I talked to her about her latest book, Fierce Love, A Bold Path to Ferocious Courage, and rule-breaking kindness that can heal the world. It's about how to overcome a divisive world with love and compassion. Really enjoyed this conversation. Really grateful that she took time to talk to us. Here is the Reverend Jackie Lewis. have been looking forward to this conversation. I've been a fan of your work and your writing for a long time. So I couldn't believe when we, well, when this worked out. So thank you so much for being willing to share your wisdom with us a little bit. I think this is the first time that, uh, that many of our listeners and readers will have heard from you. Would you mind just sharing me uh, with me a little bit about yourself and your origin story and how you got where you are now? I'm the senior minister at Middle Collegiate Church in New York. Uh, senior minister in charge at the oldest of the oldest um, continuous Protestant churches in North America. We date back to 1628. Um, I've always been in love with God. Uh, When I was a little girl, my mom told me God was always going to love me and never leave me. I was like, I like it. I'm sold. I didn't know that I'd be a professional clergy, Uh, studied engineering, worked for Eastman Carter Company, 
sold copiers. How sexy is that? Uh, so now I feel like I sell a worldview, you know, like we can love each other and this is a good thing. Um, married to my best friend. I've got two little grandbabies, um, a dad who's 80 something and five siblings in Chicago area, Denver, uh, all over the country. And so, uh, yeah, I think I would say I've, always wanted to try to do something in my life that would make a love revolution happen. And I get to do that on Sundays and I get to do that in justice work and I get to do that in my writing. So. so let's talk a little bit about the the writing work for Fierce Love when you when you first started laying out the ideas for this book or the or the or the original concept of it. What what was really the question that was on your heart that spurred this writing or, or what was the central message you wanted to communicate to your readers? As a person who does religion for a profession, there is something ubiquitous about a call to love your neighbor as yourself or to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. All the world's major religions have something like that, right, Tyler? Don't withhold from someone what you want. One tenet is don't break anyone's heart. So if we could have a revolution that is about love, as uh, my friend Valerie would, would say, a, a public ethic, love as a ubiquitous human being call, that got me so excited. And... A, a couple of trips to South Africa made me bump into Ubuntu as this concept, I am who I am because you are who you are. So between love neighbor as self and we're inextricably connected, I'm like, this is where my energy is. So I wrote this nine-step book in about nine months. It baked in my body for about nine years and I wrote it in about nine months to say, here's, here's a bit. Let's love each other. Let's do it. We can do it. As you've thought about this, talked to other people about this, um, where do you think that that fundamental breakdown happens? Because I think most people, they want to love each other. You know, like you said, most world religions and even people who aren't religious at all, they would say generally loving your neighbor is a good thing. But clearly you look around, it's not happening very much. So where where does that break between the head and the heart, do you think? Well, yeah, I, I'm, I think I would, I would say the break starts with the self that actually many of us are loving our neighbors as we love ourselves and we don't love ourselves so that's how we're loving our neighbors that there is not a lot of um, information or encouragement in our culture western culture mid-eastern culture like who says look to tyler you must love yourself. That, that, we miss that. It, it seemed to be narcissistic or self-absorbed. And so I don't believe that we can love each other if we don't first have a, a self-love, a healthy self-love. And um, I think that's about kind of taking inventory of ourselves and um, looking in our stories for the, for the places where we can celebrate. Yes, I'm wise. I'm kind. Oh, yes, I make mistakes. Yes, when I'm tired, I'm kind of unfun to be with. But to be honest with ourselves, to uh, have an unconditional regard for ourselves, a non-possessive delight in ourselves, so that we can share that kind of feeling with the other people. I think that's the break. There's just not enough wisdom, not enough practice. Marianne Williamson says, like, who are you to not own your power? Right? Who are we to not own our beauty, our giftedness, our 
our fantasticness. That has to start there. It's so, uh, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot, uh, both because of your book and, and a couple other just, just things that have come across my path over the past few years. Uh, it's so counterintuitive to the way so many of us were raised, especially here in this country, especially, I think, throughout much of the West, to think very much in terms of I, the individual, the what well, I'm going to take care of, what I need to take care of. And my neighbor is unfortunately mostly on their own. And it's not the way it's it's a very, very what what you're talking about here is a very beautiful idea, but it's so counterintuitive to how most of us were raised that learning how to get there takes a lot of really deliberate effort and changing our entire way of thinking and living. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about your experience as you've tried to reframe your life that direction. I think the first thing I would say is that there, it absolutely is culturally conscribed, right? I mean, because I can think about Vietnamese, Vietnamese families I've known who live this out all the time, right? I'm going to go to America. I'm going to get a shop. I'm going to bring my, you know, my cousins and my sisters are going to come. We're all going to live together in the house. We're going to all buy this business. We're going to, okay, now we're going to get another house, right? So it's kind of Western in a way. Western Europeans to, and that, that, that migrates here to America, this rugged individualism uh, and, and black folks from South Africa would, would, would have had Ubuntu, but by the time you get through this American way to be, we are also individualistic, right? Like me, me, I'm moving away and going to college and buying a house, whatever. So I think my mom and dad, um, I'm the oldest of a bunch of kids, and they were always telling me, you're responsible for your siblings. So this was some kind of a kernel in my mind that I, as the oldest, was responsible to make sure the other ones had college money or lunch money mm -hmm. or the bigger piece of steak. They, they did that. And as a person of faith, uh, living in a complex world, I've just had a practice of tithing all of my life, of giving 10% of my income away to good causes, my church, yeah. Equal Justice Institute, you know, all kinds of different charities. And, and, and there is a way in which I've become a conspicuous consumer also that I think the choices I make about what kind of clothing to buy, where to spend my money, what I listen to, what I read impacts the community around me. But I think it started with being a big sister, <laughs> you know, responsible for my sins. That was Reverend Jackie Lewis. Up next, it's You Gotta Be Kidding Me.
That was Sway by Fitz and the Tantrums. Okay, it's time for a new game that I have created for for this team and this week in particular. Uh, everybody knows that I love writing very long and, and complicated openings to my games for Cameron to read. Cameron remains lost at sea, so I do not have a weird opening. I'm just going to explain what the game is <laughs> and how it works. And here's what happened. Now, last week, in the, the last week as we're recording this today, Jennifer Hudson became the 17th person to EGOT. I think you guys all know on this podcast what EGOT means, but just in case you don't at home, uh, that is the the quadrant award award uh, accomplishment of securing an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar, and a Tony Award. Emmy for television, uh, Grammy for music, Oscar for film, and Tony for stage. So she so she became she entered a very very rarefied community of EGOT winners. Uh, congratulations to her. What I'm going to do for this game, which is called the EGOTA, be kidding me is I'm going to read each of you <laughs> well I'm going to read each of you well three done. celebrities and you are going to tell me which one is closest to achieving an egot out of all of Ooh. them they may have already okay. achieved an egot they may simply be close to it everybody on here is in the running in some way and I want you to tell me which one you think got closest to it does the game make sense to all of you yes yes okay all right oh, yeah it's a very yeah. it's a very very straightforward game all right, Emily, I feel like you are probably the best equipped for this game, so we're going to start with you. All right? All right. Oh, okay. All right, I think you can hit it. We'll, sure. start, we'll start early. Okay. No pressure. Your three celebrities are John Legend, Lin-Manuel Miranda, and Tina Turner, who is the closest to achieving full EGOT, who either has or is the closest wow. to achieving a full EGOT. I think it's John Legend. I think John Legend already did EGOT. Emily, that is correct. John Legend is a full EGOT wow. winner. He has got all three all of those. Are very plausible though. Lin Manuel is one each away. Of those is yeah. Lin Manuel has. Sure. Wow, you're good at knowing that's, that. That's right. Lin Manuel does not yet have his Oscar, and uh, Tina Turner actually is, uh, yeah. is four strikes. She doesn't have any. So, so congratulations. She doesn't have Gradually. any. Yeah. It's Which a, is a shame. Yeah, unjustified. Yeah. She deserves yeah. at least a Grammy. I think it's, I think it's ridiculous. On. Yeah. Yeah. Gabs. You're I mean, up next. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Gabs, you're up next. All right. Your three celebrities are Okay. Robin Williams, Paul Simon, and Walt Disney. I'm gonna go with Robin Williams. Oh, Gabs, that is absolutely no. correct. You know, you got it right. Yeah, yeah, okay. he is the closest. Robin Williams has yeah. three. So I'm assuming it's a it's a comedy album. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. What what is the what is his Tony? What is the, what is the Tony? He does not have the Tony. He has he has one in every. He has an ego E G O. Ah, gotcha. All right, so he gotcha. has an, he got an Emmy, he got a Grammy, and he got an Oscar. Paul Simon has a Grammy, but nothing else. He's been nominated in all four, but he has only won a Grammy. And Walt Disney has an Oscar and an Emmy, but did not did not win a Grammy or a mm. Tony Award. All right, Jesse, you're up. You ready? All right, here we go. Okay. Oprah, Dick Van Dyke, and Marvin Gaye. So the choices are Oprah, Dick Van Dyke, and Marvin Gaye. Right. I, I feel like I, I, I'm, I'm between, I'm between Oprah and and Dick Van Dyke. I'm only going to go with Dick Van Dyke because his body of work dates back so long, and I know, I know, uh, you know, he's done a lot of musicals. Uh, I. You know what? No, I'm going to scratch it. I'm, I'm going to go with my gut here. I, I think Oprah's been involved with enough stuff that is probably You're going there. Oprah? Jesse? 
You should have gone with you should have gone with your first guest. It was Dick Van Dyke. Dick Van Dyke has oh, Emmy, Grammy, Tony. Yeah, Oprah sense. has Emmy, has an Emmy and a Tony. Marvin Gaye only has a Grammy. So it is, so you're right. It is Dick Van Dyke. That's that is correct. All right. So I was teetering with you, Jesse. I was teetering. So it's, it's one Dick one's Van Dyke's it. folk album is very underrated. Dick Van Dyke has like <laughs> over a century Grammy. worth. Yeah, of he's work. yeah so he's, he's an old man. He's had yeah. plenty yeah. of time. Yeah, Dick Van Dyke's yeah. An old man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a hundred. He he he's a hundred forty-three yeah. this year. Great for him. Good yeah. Him. All right, Emily, we're yeah. back to you. Are you ready? Go for it. Beyonce. Okay. Whoopi Goldberg and James Earl Jones. Ooh. Okay. Let me think about this. I think I know this one. I know Beyonce doesn't have a Tony. I don't know if she has the other ones. You know, I'm going to go James Earl Jones. Just why not? James Earl Jones? Sorry, the answer mm-hmm. is Whoopi Goldberg, who actually has a full EGOT. She, she, <laughs> racked, she racked them all. That's who I was going to say. She racked them all. Wow. E-G-O-T. Wow. She's got them. You wow. can't. You are James Wait, Earl I Jones. I knew that. She was the first black woman to EGOT. She was the I first black that. woman. Oh, yeah, man. Yeah, Jennifer Hudson was only the second. Uh, James Earl Jones does have Emmy, Grammy, and Tony, and he won a non-competitive Oscar, a special Oscar, of as like a lifetime achievement situation, but does not have four full competitive awards. All right, we're gonna do the last two. We're gonna do the last two here. We got so it's right now. I think we're at one one zip. All right, Gabs, Will Smith, Hugh Jackman, and Steve Martin. Okay, what was the second one? Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman. And the first one, I'm sorry, can you repeat the beginning? Because it kind of cut out a little bit. Number one, Will Smith. Number two, Hugh Jackman. Number three, Steve Martin. Mm. I'm going to have to go with Will Smith, I think. Uh, I'm sorry, it was Hugh Hugh Jackman. It was Hugh Jackman. Hugh Jackman has yeah, Hugh Jackman has so. three of the four. Hugh Jackman has an Emmy, an Oscar, and a Tony. Will Smith has a Grammy and an All Oscar. All for the Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, I figured. Wolverine the musical he, he, really. Wolverine hard. the musical really did big numbers for him. Yeah, he's he's portraying Wolverine. He, for all all of his major <laughs> awards, so very impressive, especially for the Grammy that he won, but with that Wolverine rap out. <laughs> All right. Darn. I let so you guys it remains down. one one zip. Jesse, this will be the last one. If you can get this, we'll go out on a three way tie here. So it's all, it's, all right. So this is so this okay. is it. This okay. is it for you. Ready? Good. Ready? All right. One, two, and three. It is Bruce Springsteen, Carol Burnett, and Barbara Streisand. Ooh, I think I know this mm. one for real, actually. I'm I'm going with the Queen. Let's go, let's go Streisand mm-hmm. here. That's correct, Jesse. She's got an Emmy, Grammy, and an Oscar. Yep, you got yeah. it. Yep, yep. No Tony. Good no for Tony for Good Barbara Streisand. Yeah, although she did win a non-competitive Tony, like a lifetime achievement one. So she's kind of, she's kind of like it's like one a softy got one yeah, of those. Yeah, we'll give it. It's, it's close. It's, it's like closer than any of us. It's closer than I. It's more than I have. Yeah, it's closer than I got to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll go out. We'll go out on. A, yeah. We'll go on a wholesome note there. That's good. That's one. That's ones across the board. Everybody got one. Congratulations. You are all very very close. We are we are uh, running on the site later today. We're running our own version of EGOT that I'm excited for everybody to see. I'm not going to give away what it is. Go to relevantmagazine.com. You should be able to find it there. And with that, 
I think we will wrap it up. Well, thank you very much to Reverend Jackie Lewis for joining us today. You can read more of that interview over at relevantmagazine.com. And of course, you can order her book, Fierce Love, wherever you order your books. Head over to our site to see all of our great content. Sign up for Relevant Plus to get exclusive features on our site. You can even get an enhanced version of our digital magazine, which offers unique insight into faith, life, culture, and justice. Uh, while you're there, check out our daily devotional series. It's called Deeper Walk. Love getting back every day in my feed. It's presented by Lumo. There's a morning devotional email that you can get, or you can just check it out under the faith section on our website. And if you have a favorite part of the show, leave us a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to us. And on that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Tyler Huckabee. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Emily Brown. I'm Gabrielle Griffin. And we'll see you next time with a full cast. Thanks a lot, everyone. For listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all-new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com Well, I just got cruised. He just dropped a cruise missile on me. Relevant Podcast Network. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.